I wouldn't open a non-alcoholic bar myself because it kind of goes against the normalization and balance of choice that I believe in. We don't need to change the kind of division of what a bar is. We just need bartenders to put as much care and attention and consideration into their non-alc program as their alc program. If, if they do that and see that that's great hospitality, on a win, that's a real win. Welcome to Design Lab, I'm Bon Koo. On today's show, we have Ben Branson, who is joining us all the way from the UK. Before I introduce Ben, I want to thank everyone for giving us five stars on Apple Podcasts. And I want to give a shout out to Janesh, who reached out to me on Twitter. He enjoyed the podcast with Cliff Kwong on designing a user-friendly world, especially the part about feedback loops. And this is the way that you can support this podcast by rating us on Apple Podcasts, giving us a comment, downloading, and subscribing. I'm super excited to have Ben Branson on the show. Ben is the founder of Seedlip and Acorn Drinks. It's the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit and aperitif. Ben is on a mission to solve that dilemma that we all have of what to drink when you're not drinking and to continue his family's 300 years of farming heritage. His company has offices in England, Los Angeles, and Sydney. And Seedlib went from a one-person company and is now available in 29 cities, including New York, Barcelona, Shanghai, and Singapore. It's served in some of the world's most awarded bars, restaurants, hotels, Ben was named as one of the top 50 most influential people in food and drink by The Telegraph, and he was awarded Young Achiever of the Year by The Drinks Business. We talk about tackling the public health challenge of excessive alcohol consumption, normalizing the choice not to drink alcohol, and how peas, yes, peas, can be turned into a delicious cocktail. Here's my conversation with Ben Branson. Ben, welcome to Design Lab. Happy to have you here. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. I've been drinking here some of your seed lip. That's it's the Seedlip uh, Garden 108. Lovely. So good. I, I love it. And tell me how you make the 108, because it's an interesting story with the peas, right? Yeah. So I'm from a farming family. I'm a farming countryside boy and we've been farming for about 300 years up in the north of england um and we, 300 years yeah <laughs> wow. a long time and still farming today you know nine generations which is pretty cool we've got you know the original kind of farmhouse the little local church where my ancestors are buried and about 15 years ago my grandfather sold six acres of land and six acres you know farming terms is not very much but he mm -hmm. sold it he liked you know sort of doing deals with, with other farmers and they were the six acres that were like the original original six acres of our farm mm. farms were really small back then you know you were growing for yourselves and then my uncle a couple of years ago managed to buy those six acres back Wow. We, we call those the, the golden acres. But yeah, anyway, we still farm up there today. 
you know, we, we grow a lot of peas. It's a pretty English thing to do, I guess, growing peas. <laughs> and I just, I really, I was really keen to kind of try and sort of use some of our produce and create a non-alcoholic spirit that had all those kind of really fresh, green, sort of bright, herbaceous notes mm. that you might get from certainly my memories of, you know, sitting in our pea fields just eating fresh peas from the pod. So for the first three years, we handpicked the peas from my farm as a team. Mm. You know, we'd go up there every June and hands and knees, you know, we'd, uh, we'd pick them. They go from field to freezer in 90 minutes wow. to really capture all the kind of the fresh and sweetness. But we can't pick anymore. You know, we, we kind of, we're fortunate to have got to some sort of scale where it's just not viable. So we rely on sort of other growers now and machines, you know, to pick rather than just a bunch of hands. So yeah, that's sort of very green, very herbal, try and work with my family and work with our land and, and kind of celebrate a good English ingredient. So what I'm drinking right now has some peas in there. Yep. Mm. Tell us about the origin story of Seedlib and how a book called The Art of Dist Distillation, written in 1651, inspired Seedlib. So I, you know, I, I've got this big love of nature, this, you know, blood runs green, farming within me. That's on my mum's side and on my dad's side. He lives in New York and set up his own design company about 26 years ago. Huh. And so I sort of had this quite interesting upbringing of farming life and then brands and design, which you, you had you know, your own design agency before starting Seedlip, right? Yeah. So I, I kind of, you know, I spent summers working on the farm and then got to 18 and thought, you know what, I don't want to sit on a tractor. Let's go see what dad's up to and get down to London and, and Kind of get stuck into the design world and I, I spent my career in, in that and I worked on big brands small brands you know startups big corporates and learned a lot and and so you know Seedlip's definitely a product of my upbringing in the sense of mm. this exposure to sort of agricultural life and, and farming and then brands and design and how powerful they can be in kind of shaping and influencing how we live and what we consume and I you know I was not looking for a business i had a design agency i definitely wasn't thinking about starting anything new i just was quite happy growing herbs and veg at home you know with my dogs i lived in this little cottage uh <laughs> in the woods you know outside london quite happy very busy with work i want that life <laughs> it, was nice. it was nice you know it was it was idyllic in the sense of just quite quite simple and then I got really curious about what else I could grow. And I started getting onto the internet and I started clicking on Wikipedia links and I got lost down the rabbit warren of, you know, this sort of 500 year history of botanicals mm. and all these different flavors and all these different things that we've forgotten or, you know, you don't find in supermarkets. And that led me to a scanned copy of this book the art of distillation you know thank god somebody had scanned it in mm. if you google the art of distillation pdf you will find what i found and you know there's a lot of ingredients in there but they were making herbal remedies making medicine and i know that you're a doctor so oh, they yeah. were making medicine back in the 17th century 
using herbs and spices and using distillation as the method of extraction. Yeah. It's like foxglove is, yeah, foxglove, digoxin comes from it. And we still use digoxin today for people with cardiac disease. Okay. Yeah. There you go. And some of these remedies were non-alcoholic. So I just, you know, I bought a little two and a half liter copper still off the internet because you can do that kind of thing these days. This was seven years ago. And what is that? What's a copper still? So a copper still is is a way of distilling and capturing concentrated essence or Mm. flavor of a raw material. We know about it mostly in terms of producing alcohol, but Mm. you can actually use it to produce flavor. Um, Mm. So it's a, yeah, it's a kind of small vessel using heat converted to steam, cooled to a liquid that will take off and start to extract the volatiles and the aromatics from the raw material something like that in organic chemistry class there you go university there you go (laughs) essential oils that sort of kind of yeah perfume lots of different ways that it can be used we just know mostly it being a term or a process within alcohol and i had no idea what i was doing i had no drink in mind no ambition in mind i just thought the process was really cool wow to take herbs from your garden and then be able to turn them into a liquid that smells and tastes like that plant to me was just like, that was magic. Mm -hmm. And then I got served this absolutely disgusting, pink, fruity, sweet, childish mocktail when I wasn't drinking and out in a London restaurant. We've all had, we've all had a version of that sometime when we choose not to have a glass of wine or beer, and then we get served this crap. Yeah. (laughs) And there's no good reason why it should be such a compromise and such a letdown, you know? Yeah. We can get amazing food regardless of whether it's got meat, whatever, you know, gluten, whatever. Like we can get a great plate of food and you can get a great drink now regardless of whether it's got alcohol in it. And so that, that was November 2013 and... I just kind of, I thought I'd launch a little side project and I thought I'd take it to the farmer's market and it would be fun. I'd never named or branded my own uh-huh. thing before having done it for so many other people. I loved the process and the kind of the tech and the geekery around that. And that turned into two years of a hell of a lot of kind of trial and error and investigation and learning yeah. about the drinks industry and what a business was and business plans and investment and pricing and margins and, you know, the whole kind of gamut yeah. of setting up a drinks company. And it's just been, yeah, the last five years have just been the kind of wildest ride. You know, as, Amazing. As movement's taken hold. And it, there's so much creativity there with your origin story in starting this and does creativity still have a role today as you're rolling out this, you know, multinational global business? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I kind of, you know, we're in lockdown here in the UK, so there is less stimulation around, right? In terms yeah. of sort of, you, you don't have those car journeys where you can think, or you don't have those spontaneous, I don't know, bump into somebody, a conversation here, yeah. a little coffee there a billboard, you know, that kind of starts a, a kind of seed of an idea. So I've definitely found that's been more of a challenge 
but I'm fascinated by crisis. You know, I, I think times of crisis are really fascinating mm-hmm. in terms of I'm, I get really excited about what's going to come out of it. You know, I get, yeah. I get kind of really encouraged and I see that within my team and I see that certainly within the, the non-ALK space, but also just kind of life in general, right? It, it's yeah. sort of like, it, it just is interesting to see how different the world's going to be and what's going to come out of it and how many businesses are going to have been devised and how many epic things yeah. have been invented during this sort of really surreal time. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, it's been starting this podcast during this right. crisis that it was I needed this creative outlet and meeting people that I didn't get when before the pandemic, when I would travel at least once a week to a conference and meet interesting folks. And yes. I, I felt this vacuum. I was like, well, I want to still meet those people and have those conversations after a talk or those random conversations in a coffee shop when you're yeah. waiting in line. and. You just heard an interesting lecture. So this is like kind of my pandemic creative outlet. And during this podcast, we've been trying to answer this question of, or explore this question of, you know, how might we design healthier lives? And during the pandemic, I've been drinking way too much, especially early in the pandemic. I think that's a common theme among a lot of people because they're at home, nothing else to do. Yeah. Let's have like some beer, wine, some stiff drinks and, you know, I work in the emergency room or I guess you call it A&E there in the UK. And, you know, there's, you know, so much damage from alcohol. You know, I just want to read a couple of stats from you that Mm -hmm. in the U S there's 5 million ER visits a year related to alcohol, almost a hundred thousand deaths per year from excessive alcohol use and you know, every day when I work in the emergency room, I see an alcohol-related injury. And some sometimes are the worst injuries that, that I see. And, you know, I still drink alcohol. I enjoy sure. alcohol. But what, what I'm fascinated by what Seedlip does is that you're normalizing the choice around not to drink. That's like sort of your design challenge. Yes. And I'm wondering, is part of your mission to create like healthier communities by giving us this option to normalize not drinking? I think so much of it, right. The irony of, of sort of our goal is the goal is normality, right? Mm-hmm. The goal is normal, which yeah. is a really strange goal because that doesn't sound very exciting you know, <laughs> to normalize something. Yeah, It's just incredible that it's not normal. You know, that, that's kind of the, the scale of the in, incredulous side of it is that it, it sort of matters whether there's alcohol in your drink or not. Yeah. And it really shouldn't. And it shouldn't. Yeah. It, it there's shouldn't. pressure to drink. Like sometimes, you know, a little confession when I go to these, I go to a lot of social events, you know, pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. I'm sure you did as well. And when at cocktail hour, I fake that I'm drinking. So I go to the bartender, I'm like, give me a nice glass with a big chunk of ice, pour some seltzer in there in the lime. And I'm going to pretend I'm drinking like a vodka tonic. Yeah. And, Cause I don't want to drink, but I feel this pressure to drink. And I feel lame when I'm having a diet Coke in my glass and yes. everyone goes, Hey, how come you're just drinking a diet Coke? Why don't yes. you have a glass of wine? And yeah. So, and it I fake, I fake that I'm drinking. Yeah. <laughs> so right. Weird. Right. Right. And it shouldn't, you know, 
how how kind of crazy in this day and age that 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 has to happen right and it happens because there aren't any other choices right yes because if you're drinking an orange juice it looks like you're drinking an orange yes. juice and if you're drinking a diet coke it looks like you're drinking a yeah. diet coke because what's happened is the world of cocktails and alcohol right has got better so mm-hmm. there are an inordinate amount of options if you're drinking alcohol to drink really properly made you know well considered flavorful brilliantly made creatively kind of inspired products yeah and cocktails and brilliant bartenders who can make them for you but if you're not drinking you know there's kind of there's so little out there and when we launched you know five and a half years ago there was seedlip was the only thing you know maybe you yeah. could get an odules or maybe you could get a kind of one non oh, i hate odules i hate all that crap like <laughs> yeah <laughs> It, was it tastes so fake. And so it's all, yeah, people are then going to go either to your idea of I'm going to make it look like I'm drinking because I can't be bothered with the questions or you end up drinking when you yeah. don't want to drink, Yeah, you know, and you end up kind of going, I don't actually feel like drinking at this party, but I'm going to have a glass of champagne. Yeah. And, and, I like, don't, wow. and, I, and I get tired of explaining. I like to drink, you know, I like, you know, spirits and beer and love wine but then sometimes i just don't want to drink but i don't want to be bothered by people pressuring me to drink it's just annoying societal pressure at these events and it's starting to change you know it's you know this is we've grown from you know my kitchen and a one-man band you know to being available in 37 countries and you know we're now available in 20 states across the u.s and this kind of movement has caught fire and it's early days, but from whether it's the hospitality industry or whether it's sort of retailers or kind of the press and the media or the drinks industry, people are now fully recognizing that the options can be great regardless of alcohol content. Yeah. And what I love is that when we, when I think about designing behavior change is mm-hmm. that you preserve the ritual of making a nice cocktail. Yes. Like after work, I like to treat myself sometimes. So I'm going to, I'm going to make myself an old fashioned or a nightcap, but I like that ritual. I, you know, have a silicone mold and I have big chunks of ice and I, you know, like to mix my drinks and, you know, I've been experimenting during the pandemic of how to, do these micro hacks in my life to be healthier. So I, you know, started eating more vegetables, gave up uh, pork, beef, and chicken. And then I thought, well, why don't I like maybe decrease my alcohol consumption? And that's how I found out about your company and C-Lip talking okay. to some of my friends. And I love it. I, I still have like, you know, I'm holding up here a nice cocktail glass of a big chunk of ice. And I love being inventive and still making these drinks and at the same ritual I had yes. before. Yes. And I yeah, think that's you don't like lose the, anything there, right? Yeah. Making even a, even like a seed lip spice and a really good, nice ginger ale with a citrus garnish. Yeah. It, it's, you've got to make the drink, you know, you've got to build the drink and it's those same kind of steps that you'd go through if it had alcohol in it. And I think psychologically, that's really important to not just opening a can, 
and glugging something back or yeah. pouring juice out of a carton out the fridge. Yeah. You know, that there's, there's massive amounts of kind of psychology around the props of socializing and the ritual of going to a bar or ordering a drink or looking in the menu or asking the bartender yeah. or seeing a bottle on the back bar, you know, they're kind of, or having a bar car at home, like it's very visual. It's, it's very sensorial. And I'm holding up a bottle right now of, of seed lip. And when I first got it, it's beautiful. It looks Thank like you. a bottle of, you know, like a hundred dollar bourbon. And I, I could put it next to that bottle of bourbon or that single malt scotch and it holds its own. And, right. and so I've been experimenting, bringing friends over. And I'm like, Hey, do you want a, a drink? And then it feels lame popping open a duels and giving to him. But I go through this ritual and like, they're like, Whoa, this is kind of cool. And yes, I, I really think that's like the secret design sauce of seed lip of not changing be behavior. And that's what we try to do in the healthcare space of when we introduce like new technologies or devices that we try not to change the behavior of a doctor or a nurse, but okay. introduce it into their existing behavior. So we do a lot of 3D printing, for example, in healthcare. And what we, a design principle that we use was try not to change the behavior of a surgeon when she plans for an operation. But when we want to make it easy for them, just as they would order a CAT scan or MRI for planning an operation to order a 3D print. So put that okay. into their workflow and not changing their behavior becomes it, it becomes more acceptable. Fascinating. And so I think with looking at the end user, if you're changing their current behavior a lot, it's not going to get adopted. And totally that's why, agree with you. Yeah. So that's why for me, it was like, oh, this is cool. It looks like, you know, I'm pouring myself a glass of bourbon. I can mix things in with it and I can yes. still use my existing barware. Yes. And have go through those rituals. And I think yeah. for me, that's why personally I've adopted this into my kind of my ritual of, yeah. of normalizing, like not drinking. But you talk about, you know, designing behavioral change. And you've really got to pick, you know, what and be really focused, I think, and kind of willing to sacrifice, right, on not asking too much. Yes. You know, not wanting. You're so right that it's sort of if it's in the flow of what I usually do, then I'm far more likely to to do it. So don't change too many things. Yes. You know? And interestingly, you know, the smallest words on the front of the bottle on seed lip are non-alcoholic, right? Deliberately. I can you know, barely, I'm holding up the ball, right? Yeah, I could barely see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, because it's not about plastering, you know, 0, 0.0 all over the yeah. bottle or kind of calling it out. It's just like, it should stand up and, and be a great drink regardless. I, I think we're going to call this episode like, redesigning happy hour and i wish i could go into a bar that just serves cool uh, yep. a cool hip bar yep you know with like nice mood lighting and just, just like any other speakeasy that you would go to in a cool part of the city and be able to order some inventive drinks like this does does that do these type of bars exist in the UK? Because I haven't seen it in Philadelphia where I'm at. There are 
great current bars that are serving more non-alcoholic drinks that you know holds the same sort of creativity and invention as yep. alcoholic drinks. Yep. But I haven't seen like dedicated bars to serving non-alcoholic drinks. There are, I don't know, there is, there's maybe 10 in the world. Ten. Yeah, there are a couple in New York. I think there's one in Texas. There's a, a few in the UK. I think there might be one in Australia, maybe one in South Africa. You know, how we socialize in the future, I think I think's pretty interesting. I wouldn't open a non-alcoholic bar myself because it kind of goes against the normalization and balance mm. of choice okay. that I believe in. We don't need to change the kind of division of what a bar is. We just need bartenders to put as much care and attention and consideration into their non-alc program as their alc program. Mm. If, if they do that and see that that's great hospitality yeah on a win that's a real win and how do you go about the storytelling of seedlip when you're introducing it to these existing markets like what has been some of the challenges maybe and hurdles that you had to overcome to normalize serving non-alcoholic drinks in a bar I mean, if I'd listened to everything that I heard in the two years that it took to, to get to launch, I definitely wouldn't have launched. <laughs> you know, the, Tell me more. <laughs> the This will never sell a bottle. This is the most ridiculous idea ever. What's the point? It's a kind of real common one. Just, you know, change is quite uncomfortable, right? We can see this in the world of cars or, you know, online yep. shopping. I mean, that was kind of really quite crazy, you know, to begin with 10, 15 years ago, even mobile phones was yeah. like, whoa. Yeah. yeah. And you get, you know, what's going on in milk and alternative milks, mm. obviously what's going on in meat. And and these, these do provoke, you know, some of them are quite emotionally charged areas, right? Maybe not cars so much, but, but meat, dairy. Oh yeah. Um, Food you know, and drink is, are very personal they come from your you have a whole culture and upbringing around food and drink and absolutely i think we're so influenced by media i mean you know sometimes when i you know i've been watching that popular show ted lasso and that you know, they go to the bar and be drinking beer i'm like then i go oh maybe i should have a beer tonight like i think it has this like psychological influence and when i see it in media then you're like it normalizes it and that's, yes. what we, and that's why they took a lot of smoking out of movies and TV because it was like normalizing that behavior. Yes. And, you know, we adopt unconsciously what we see in the media into being, you know, how we view the world, right? Yeah. And how, and our values. And, you know, that can be really powerful. But I, I think, you know, as, as we've become more focused on our health and more focused on, you know, areas and industries like wellness have obviously popped up yeah. and tech, you know, access to way more information and data because of the internet than we've ever been able to kind of see and understand, you know, they are kind of massive seismic shifts in, in our values, how we see the world, how we live, uh, how we spend our time yeah. and they, they do then kind of bottom down to 
different choices that we make or actually, do you know what? I, I kind of, the world is really busy and we have to be busy. And so I haven't got time to be hungover. You know, yeah. I actually don't have time to be, I, I kind of, you know, it's I hate that. Yeah. I hate that feeling of like drinking too much. And next day I'm like, Oh, like it's, I'm, I'm struggling this morning yeah. to like get my work done. It's and then awful. you feel behind and, you know, the sort of race of life kind of, I think people get in that frenzy of it. And that does, yeah, that does have an impact. But I, I don't know, I, I guess I think the future, you know, the future of how we socialize and what yeah. we drink and what we are really interesting. And you've got that classic kind of innovation, early adoption curve that's kind of happening where non-alc is concerned. And that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool and, and pretty exciting, I think. I'm kind of curious to know your thoughts on the future of this kind of like movement. And do you see, you know, when we go out to happy hour in the future, that there would be as equal of a selection of non-alcoholic drinks in, in a bar as opposed to alcoholic drinks and like this behavior would be normalized are we are we like five years away from that a year away from that 10 years and i i'm kind of fascinated about different cultures around drinking when i was visiting seoul korea my parents lived there they're from korea they were immigrants and it doesn't have that drinking bar heavy culture i mean koreans do drink a lot but yeah. on a friday night you're not seeing people this whole bar culture that we have in the u.s and what was fascinating to me is that people were in cafes drinking coffee at Friday night at 8 p.m., which I thought was weird, but yep. coffee culture is huge in Korea. I think they have more, I think they have more cafes than any other country in the world, actually. Wow. It's, it's amazing. There's coffee shops everywhere, but it's normal behavior on a Friday night at 8 p.m. to get along with your friends and go to a coffee shop and to drink I love coffee. That. Yeah, I, and I was that. like, I was like, this is fascinating. I was like, I wish I had that in in the U.S. Oh, I, Christopher, I've got no idea, but I do know that, you know, we launched in 2015. We were the first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Fast forward to now, and there are over 200 non-alcoholic spirit brands. 200. Yeah. So, wow. so I, I kind of, I've got a data point there in terms of, yeah. you know, and, and now there is an ecosystem, right? Hey, look, we're on a, a kind of design led podcast talking about non-alc, right? Yeah. There are festivals, events, books, journalists, you know, media, brands, retailers, buyers that are now within the ecosystem of this space. And that's, that creates a kind of cultural movement. And that's, you know, that's really cool to see. So I, one thing I do expect is that it, it will only grow, right? This is not a fad this mm. is not a passing phase. Mm. This is a, a kind of an intrinsic shift, a societal shift in mm. our, in what we drink yeah. and how we socialize. Mm. So that's cool. I think, you know, we, we launched our second business two years ago called Acorn. Yeah. And that's a range of non-alcoholic aperitifs. That's I totally cool. want to try that. I can't get that in the U.S. yet, right? Is that right? In about three months' time, this summer, Acorn's coming to the U.S. Yes. But, yeah, which <laughs> is right. really exciting. And there's another, you know, with food and a spritz bitter kind of flavors, you know, that's really exciting, I think, from a kind of socializing occasion that seems yeah. to really be picking up steam rather than this. 
I, I guess, you know, if I look over the last hundred years, we've sort of been quite one dimensional in our drinking occasions. It's sort mm-hmm. of like we, you go out and you drink. Yes. And that's kind of it. And yeah. actually the night or the occasion focuses around the drink. Yeah. Now, where I see the next hundred years going, you know, as long as we don't wreck, keep wrecking this planet to the point of <laughs> yeah. no return, is that there are drinking or the drink is just a part of the social occasion, right? Mm. It's all about the experience. It's all yeah. about who you're with. You know, we've got in London, you can go axe throwing, you know, on a night out. Yeah. Right? You can go and play ping pong. You can go and throw darts, mini golf, go to an amazing cinema, go to an amazing theater. You know, there are loads of other ways to socialize now where drink and drinking still play a really important part, but they're just not the reason for doing it. Yeah, the the social event isn't designed around the drink, but that's just kind of like an afterthought. I I love that because I get so sick and tired of like, hey, it's a you know, pre-pandemic, it's a Friday night. What are we going to do? What bar are we going to go to and drink? And I'm like, can't we do anything else yeah. besides like, why does it have to focus around wine or beer or cocktails? And it's, it just gets boring after yes. a while. Yes. And there's so much, you know, there is, there are so many other wonderful kind of creative people out there, right. Doing really interesting experiences and different ways of of kind of getting together and so i I think that's also part of normalizing this right that's also part of it not being the focus of attention is all part of this sort of cultural normalization journey that that kind of drinking's on which yeah which which is definitely gathering pace i think you know, it's still really early days and, but it's happening, you know, and that's the most exciting thing to see. I love it. I want to read this from the uh, CDC website, the Center for Disease uh, Control in the U.S. And it talks about, I'm just going to re- read the statement and I'd Over. love to get your response. How can I contribute to the prevention of excessive alcohol use? Choose not to drink too much yourself and help others not to do it. That's listed as one of the recommendations. So I I kind of, I have a couple of thoughts on that. I guess, number one, alcohol is not bad, right? Mm -hmm. I I kind of go, you know, guns are not bad in that same, in that same vein. It's just, there are so many, you know, many of my friends and many of my customers make their living, you know, from selling and serving alcohol yeah and they do it in you know the most incredibly brilliant way you know seedlip served in i think 35 of the world's best 50 bars right what wow and and we get to work with these amazing bartenders and amazing people who you know are putting flavor together in brilliantly ingenious ways Uh that is about having a fantastic experience it's about drinking something delicious with people that you're happy to be around in an amazing atmosphere and at that level you know wow that's incredibly kind of inspiring exciting 
it's premium it's people who are drinking less but better mm -hmm. it's well-made products mm. so i'm like you know all yeah. all about that do i think you know people who are selling kind of cheap liquor i don't agree with you know i kind mm. of I, I and i i don't agree with i guess any food and drink category where things aren't being made properly or where yeah. shortcuts are being taken or where there's harm caused because of those products being bought and sure. consumed. You know, I, yep. I have high standards and I love what most of the alcohol world is doing to kind of raise those standards. Mm -hmm. It's the bottom end that, you know, people who are doing artificial things, overly processed things, things that are unhealthy. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I kind of across the food and drink space, I don't have much time for. So I'm holding this bottle of, of seed lip here and it is not cheap. I would say mm -hmm. that it, it rivals the cost of a nice or, or semi nice bourbon. And mm -hmm. how do you, was that like, but it's totally worth it. Right. Cause I know that, you know, you like what you're saying, the ingredients that you care about. And I think it's probably it's ecologically, environmentally friendly. There's no added crap in there. Mm -hmm. So I, I care about what goes in there. Yep. But did you get some pushback with a, with a price point from restaurants and customers going, why yeah, the, do I have to pay so much for a non-alcoholic drink? Right. I mean, again, you name it, I've heard it. I mean, number one, you know, sourcing really amazing ingredients that are real you know, yeah. from growers around the world is not cheap. Yeah. Two, we need, because we're interested in flavor and extracting flavor, we actually need more raw materials than the alcohol world might to really extract as much flavor as we can. That comes with a price tag. And then our process takes about six weeks to make a bottle. So it's- Wow, six it's weeks. Cheap. Yeah. Huh. So we're individually- kind of steeping each ingredient we're then individually distilling each ingredient twice individually filtering it then we're blending and then we're bottling so it's pretty involved as a process and then when i ask people this usually this kind of helps just sort of make sense is if you're at home and you want a really great drink do you think that three dollars for let's say three and three dollars fifty for just an amazing seedlip grove and a fever tree ginger ale with a slice of lemon and some ice do you think and and that's complex it's sophisticated you sip it you don't gulp it yeah it's got you know a great finish you feel really good about making it do you think that's good value you know, for three dollars fifty. Yeah. What do you spend on your coffee in the morning? You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm like five dollars for me. <laughs> there you go. You know, what's different is that it's a multi-serve product, obviously, and is non-alk. And you know, it. I think as, when we break it down and and explain it to people, and then obviously the real test is when people try it. It starts to make sense. It's just another of those pieces that is like, hold on a minute distilled non-alcoholic spirit what the hell's that yeah and you're gonna charge what what like whoa 
step back and walk me through this. Yeah. And by the way, sorry, when do we need, why do we need non-alcoholic drinks? Like, yeah. oh God, yeah. I now remember that time I got just a really plain soda or that yeah. time I had to pretend I was drinking, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it, I, I do think, you know, for me, cause I had, you know, to be 100% transparent, some reservations. I was like, this sure. is not cheap. You know, I went to the website and, but you know, I had some friends drinking it. So I was like, I'm going to try it. And I have, I fell in love with it. It was, and it really has helped me decrease my alcohol consumption because it's like, Friday night, end of a work week, I want to relax and I go straight, you know, what probably a lot of us do. I'm going to open up a nice bottle of wine or I'm yeah. going to pour myself a cocktail. And now it's like, well, I'm going to make myself a, a fantastic cocktail. It just it happens not to have alcohol in it. Right. So, so thank you for that. It's You're really welcome. Been I mean, you've got an incredibly stressful job. So I'm <laughs> yeah. like, you know, yeah, it, it is stressful, but you know, I think this, too many of us self-medicate with alcohol for that stress. And, but that's just like, we have this ritual that becomes normalized in society, media, culture of yes. what do you do to unwind, Yes, have alcoholic drink. And that's why I still drink. And I, sometimes I will have that glass of wine and that's okay. But I think yeah. for me personally, I just wanted to decrease that amount that I was doing. Yeah. And I think yeah. A lot of the patients that I treat and see could benefit too from mm -hmm. just decreasing the excessive alcohol consumption, especially that we see during the weekends. You know, sure. we sure, see sure. most of our alcohol related injuries on a Friday, Saturday night, and yeah. because there's just excessive use. What about during the pandemic? What have you noticed? The violence has increased during the pandemic. I think a lot more people are drinking at home to yes. an excess. Yeah. Yeah. And really, because then that whole social aspect of like, hey, we're going to go out and have a drink is not there anymore. So I'm just going to go home and drink. So then it really becomes focused just on the drink. Yes. To, to a yes. hyper degree than it was before. Yes. So I, I really think people need an alternative or this whole concept of normalizing. Yeah. You know, not drinking alcohol is, is a really important one during the pandemic. Yeah. And um, we find, you know, that, hey, have a seed lip cocktail and then have a glass of wine. Yeah. You know, like that, I, I do that sometimes. I start off with like a seed lip yeah. cocktail yeah. because I think there's this, yeah, this whole culture of, well, yeah, you have a cocktail, then you have a glass of wine, but then yeah. three drinks into it, I feel like doing, I don't feel like doing shit the rest of the night. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of not, it's not so binary, you know, around like, I'm not drinking or I don't drink or I am yeah. drinking. Or I'm, you know, it's sort of trying to relax some of the, the stigma and the pressures and these boundaries that we sort of need to, we kind of live obsessed with these kind of compartments of defining ourselves by these choices that we make that have to be absolute. Yeah. It's like, I don't eat much meat, but I'm not a vegetarian, you know? Yeah. It's like, totally. I don't know yeah. who said everything yeah. in moderation, you know, but yeah. And I think people try to pigeonhole you into a category. You're a pescatarian, vegan, yeah. uh, non, you know, like drinker. Yeah. And 
which you know, says for labels, yeah. you know, and I know the US take it to another level on kind of labels. <laughs> yes, you know? it's, we're an embarrassment to the rest of the planet for, for sure. <laughs> but I kind of, I, I, I sort of just wish everyone would relax, you know, a little yeah. bit. And this, this kind of need to define and, and kind of narrow down everything. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's a cocktail. Boom. That tells yes. me lots. It doesn't matter. That doesn't tell you what's in it. Yeah. And that's okay. It's yeah. like, you don't need to decide kind of, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, 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 I 100% agree. And there's no reason to have more than three alcoholic drinks at a night and in a setting, yep. right? No reason for yep. social occasion. And then, but you could blend that in. You could, yeah, I'll have a glass of wine. I'll have a non-alcoholic drink and maybe I'll, finish off with like a beer or a limoncello or something yeah. like that. Like yeah. you could, you could insert it into yeah. your normal rituals that, that yes. we have. In the same way that you can uh, eat meat on a Monday and not on Tuesday or yeah. not eat meat at lunch and eat it at dinner or I don't know, whatever, but it, it's, I, I kind of, I just, yeah, I, I just see, you know, society's sort of unrelenting need, you know, even how it plays out on social media of like, people needing to define themselves in their bios by yeah. whether they drink caffeine or not. And it's <laughs> like, guys, you know, come on. <laughs> like I'm a, I'm a father and, you know, I'm a son friend and a husband, right? Yeah. And that's, and a, and a business owner. It's like, that's who I am. And then I have the choices that I make in my life. And I would hate to be defined by those, you know, by whether... I eat meat, drink alcohol, drive a diesel or a petrol or an electric yeah. car or how my house is heated or I don't know. I just 100, 100% agree. I could talk to you forever. We're ending our time here. I'm so sad. So, but oh, I like yeah, to ask, chat, yeah, I like to end with asking my guests, you know, how are you recharging during the pandemic? You know what? I live on a farm, so I'm lucky to be surrounded, you know, every day by when I look out my window, you know, a forest mm. fields with horses in. So being outside, to be honest, fresh air. Yeah. You know, it's easy to sit in front of this screen on Zoom all the time. And yeah. Yeah. Fresh air. That's something we had a guest on before, Emily Anthes, who wrote the book, The Great Indoors. Okay. And even bringing in artificial plants into your apartment, if you live in the city, increases mental health so these like views of nature i think are yes. so important for people during this pandemic and i know i've been trying to get out as much as possible too so yeah they did a study i can't remember who on putting up nature scenes within prison gyms mm. within hospital windows also yep and yeah it's and even that's a photo yeah you know of just seeing something that kind of can take you to to something sort of reminiscent of nature yeah it does have a massive impact on yeah. on our well-being well uh, thank you ben for being on design lab and for you know helping me in my own journey to not to drink alcohol excessively and and to kind of think about how we could redesign the future of drink in our societies that in many societies excessive alcohol consumption is a public health threat Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I really think the company that you built and created is, is another 
tool in our toolkit to decrease excessive alcohol consumption in our societies. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Now I'm joined by my producer, Rob Puglisi. What's up, Rob? What's up, Bon? I love this idea of a fancy non-alcoholic cocktail. I think we should make one. Let's make one live right now. Let's do Let's it. Let's do it. All right. So you have a bottle, right? Which uh, which bottle do you have? I have the Seedlip Garden 108. It's a beautiful bottle. I think there's a rabbit on there with actually the rabbit's ears are pea shoots. Check I it love out. the design of this brand. It is just so gorgeous and it just like, screams high quality. You could like almost like see the effort that goes into it. Just taking a look at their label. Popping it open. I get some herbal, crisp, peppery notes here. Yeah. So in, in the interview, Ben talked a lot about peas and the peas he grows on his farm. And I'm really curious. Uh, I think this is the this is the version that has peas in it, right? It, What's it, it does, smell like? It does have peas. It's like I, well, I told you, Rob, if you're listening, it's like herbally, crisp, peppery. I know, but like, do you, do you smell peas? What do peas even smell? I, like? I don't even know what peas smell like, but okay, okay. It, smell, it smells like I'm smelling a garden. It's, it's beautiful. Mm, that's nice. Okay. So walk, like walk, me, walk me through this drink that's in, in the cocktail book here. All right. So let's start with the glass, right? You got to have the right kind of glass. And I think for this one, a low ball, kind of your traditional, like old fashioned tumbler should do. So you got, got one of those. Got one right here. Yep. Uh, one of my favorite ways to make a drink feel really fancy and more delicious is to use a nice big chunk of ice. So do you have some big ice? Of course I do right here. Of course you have big ice. I know you put it in here. Yep. Oh, listen to that. Oh, that's good. I know you like bourbon. So most bourbon drinkers these days have a, one of those silicone round ice uh, molds, which are, which are really nice to have around. Um, all right. So we've got our ice, we've got our glass. So it's pretty straightforward, right? So let's start with the Garden 108. I think a couple ounces of that. Okay, here it goes. All right. And it smells then so good. Now what do I do? This particular recipe calls for some ginger beer. And ginger beer is really great for making mixed drinks because unlike ginger ale, ginger beer tends just to have a lot more natural gingery flavor um Ooh, you have so, a bottle so spicy yeah you have a bottle of fever tree ginger beer and that stuff literally it's spicy it's like hot when you drink when you drink it but it's yeah. so good in a mixed drink so get a couple ounces of that over uh, I'm, I'm just gonna i'm gonna do a little splash i'm just not a splash do a of, yeah here it goes okay. mm, give it a little it swirl here now, something like this, I think, would be really good to have a nice, uh, mm. like, garnish on top. Of, like, I think, like, a sprig of parsley, some mint, some rosemary. Green I should throw some rosemary in there. Yeah, that'd be really nice to kind of add to that bright, vibrant garden flavor. All right, what's it taste like? Tell me, tell me. Mm. You know, it's it's almost like sipping a glass of wine. You can't really just gulp this down. It's um, super crisp, very. Um, like peppery and you just it's again it's like smelling a garden it's beautiful hmm. do you miss not having alcohol in that drink you can't i don't man you know and i've been i've been experimenting with seed lip and it satisfies that need to treat yourself after like a long day and go hey I'm, i want to i want to pour myself a nice drink and celebrate hmm I could drink this all day long. It's so good. Yeah. And I think that's the really cool thing about this. It's like 
all of the elements of a really good mixed drink are there, right? Those are the, like the things you crave. Like when you go to like a really good bar and you get a perfectly made mixed drink and you take a sip of it, you don't want it to taste like straight up liquor, right? Yeah. It's that balance of flavors and layers and the the feel of it, the the temperature of it. And you get all of those things with one of these drinks. And I think that's the really beautiful thing about it. Maybe we should replace our bourbon nights, Rob, with some non-alk nights. My favorite thing is this whole idea of you don't have to replace it, right? But mm. add it in. Maybe your first drink could be a seed lip, you know, non-alcoholic drink. And you follow that up with a bourbon. So you don't have two bourbons. You have, you know, only one bourbon. You can enjoy more than, than one experience. Totally. All right, Rob, who do we have on for next week? All right. Well, now that I am thirsty, we got to move on uh, to next week's guest. She's going to be really fantastic. And I can't wait for you to hear from Antoinette Carroll. Ooh, she's the one who founded Creative Reaction Lab. Love her. That's right. Antoinette Carroll is the founder and CEO of Creative Reaction Lab, and they are a nonprofit social enterprise designing healthy and racially equitable communities for Black and Latinx populations. Through a number of ways, they do education, training programs, they consult for community engagement, and they have an online national platform with all kinds of open source tools and resources. It's really beautiful what they've created and Antoinette's a force and she you is. hear her message. She has such a great TED Talk from 2018. She uses this phrase, redesign for justice, which I love. And she talks about designing for equity. It's going to be a good conversation. Yep. There's so much we can learn. And make sure you check out Creative Reaction Lab online. Cool, man. Looking forward to it. You can find Ben Branson on Instagram. His handle is clip underscore Ben. And please support us. We don't want your money, but we do want you to rate us on Apple Podcasts and follow and download episodes on whatever platform you use to listen. Reach out to me on social media. My Twitter handle is at B-O-N-K-U. My Instagram is at D-R-B-O-N-K-U. Design Lab was produced by the one and only Rob Puglisi. Our theme music was created by Emmanuel Houston and the cover design by Eden Liu from Double Take Labs. See you next week.